This episode of the People of PCPS is brought to you through the generous support of Joe Fisher's office at Mid-State Educators Insurance. For more information, visit insurepolk.com. Welcome to the People of PCPS, a Polk County Public Schools podcast. This podcast is dedicated to telling the stories of teachers, paraeducators, support staff, students, volunteers, alumni, and all the people who contribute to Polk County Public Schools. Whether they're working in the school district, learning in our classrooms, or using their education to improve our community, the people are what make Polk County Public Schools great. Let's get to know our colleagues, our students, our neighbors, and our friends, the people of PCPS. Hi everyone, I'm Rachel Pleasant, the Senior Director of Communications for Polk County Public Schools, and welcome back to the People of PCPS podcast. Every day in the communications office, we meet new people, we talk to new people, but we don't often get the time to really talk to them and really learn about their stories and who they are and what they contribute to the organization. And so this podcast is dedicated just to getting to know the people of Polk County Public Schools better because we believe it's the people that really make this organization great. And today we have a very special guest. We have Lois Horn-Diaz, the 2017 Polk County Public Schools Teacher of the Year. I got the year right, right. correct, Lois? Okay. Lois has been working for Polk County Public Schools for 33 years, but she has been in public education for 35 years. She's been with Polk County Public Schools for the 33 years, and the first 23 or so years, she was a school psychologist, and about 10 years ago, she decided to become a teacher. And so we're going to learn more about her career and how her teaching practice has evolved because Lois is now teaching virtually during the pandemic. So Lois, just to start out, to think about our pre-pandemic lives, what, why did you want to become a school psychologist? And then why did you want to become a teacher? Well, I've always wanted to be a teacher. Um, From the time I was in third grade and I got inspired by my third grade teacher who was creative and exciting and and just brought her lessons to life. So I had every intention of being a classroom teacher when I majored in elementary ed at the University of Central Florida. But when I graduated, I was offered a job at SeaWorld Florida as their education representative. So instead of teaching in a classroom, I taught in a stadium filled with a thousand children And um, that was the beginning of my education career. So that kind of evolved from there to an opportunity to um, do a local television show called This Is Me for preschool children. And that show was about emotional and social development in children. And that really lit a fire in me. So that's what prompted me to go back to graduate school and study school psychology and that led me to my job first in Osceola County for a couple of years and then in Polk County um, in 1988. Okay. And then why the switch to from being a school psychologist to being a teacher? Why, once you had gotten into that career for so long, why did you decide to, to change? Well, I loved, I loved my work as a school psychologist and I loved being a school psychologist in Polk County especially mm-hmm. because I had a lot of freedom to um, sort of bring my other interests and talents into my job. And so I got to um, perform for children and do programs about um, 
uh, staying drug free and, and bullying prevention and how to get along and, and understand their own emotions. And um, that along with doing um, assessments, intellectual and, and uh, academic assessments, gave me the opportunity to work closely with children. And I felt like I was teaching in a global sense. And um, that was a wonderful career for me for many years. Mm -hmm. Then through the years, the profession kind of evolved, mm -hmm. moving more towards data analysis. And um, that's, that's of great interest to many people, not so much to me. So when I saw the profession shifting and I realized that, hey, you know, that, that dream I had as a kid to be a classroom teacher, mm -hmm. maybe this is the time to shift into that and uh, end my career the way I had always intended to begin it and, and never actually did. So after all those many years, I finally stepped into a classroom. Came full circle. How, are, how do you think you as a teacher are different or what, how is the experience for your students different because you have such a strong background as a school psychologist? What do you bring into the classroom? Well, particularly because I chose to teach um, gifted children, I think that my experience as a school psychologist was very, is very valuable because mm -hmm. through my years practicing school psychology, I more or less began to specialize in the needs of gifted children. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of things about gifted children that people don't understand, even teachers, even mental health professionals, even medical professionals just don't have a strong background in the specific needs of gifted children. Mm -hmm. So as I studied and um, gained more experience, there were a lot of things that I learned just by virtue of working with gifted children that I was testing over and over and over and over. I heard the same stories from parents, from teachers, from children. And I started to kind of link together, wait a minute, there's something to this. And mm -hmm. that's what prompted me to go back to school for the one, two, three, fourth time to graduate school mm -hmm. and get um, additional credentials in, in gifted education. So I feel like I was able to bring into my gifted classroom a real broad understanding of those children's needs. And um, one of the joys, besides working directly with the children, has been to work with the families. And um, I think that when parents know that someone understands their children, Mm -hmm. and understand that being gifted doesn't just mean, oh, your kid's smart and does well in school. Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of other things that come along with that special need. It is a special mm -hmm. need. So I feel um, very fortunate that I was able to um, bring that experience into my classroom, and it, it's been a blessing for me as well. Well, that's really fascinating, and I actually had no idea that that was the case. Um, I mean, of course, gifted by the nature of the term kind of gives you a sense for the kind of children that you're you're teaching. But for the layman, for people who have not invested years in studying it, can you give me like just a, one example or one type of quality you see that, that, to elaborate on what you just said about how these oh, students? Yeah. Okay, I'd, I'd be delighted. Okay, <laughs> so. Um, Gifted children, particularly highly gifted children, mm -hmm. have um, a very specific set of characteristics. Mm -hmm. And the reason most people don't understand this is because the frequency of running across a highly gifted ch child would be so rare 
that a classroom teacher maybe sees one highly gifted kid every five years. Mm -hmm. And if you don't see a pattern over and over, you don't kind of link it together and say, oh, I understand this. Mm -hmm. So what happens with highly gifted people is as the cognitive development gets so exaggerated, a lot of other things come along with it. Mm -hmm. And in the gifted education world, it's called overexcitabilities and it's neurological. So your cognitive development is, is accelerated, but so are your emotions. So are your sensory inputs. So are your, your, is your imagination and, and et cetera. So it's almost like those children have those um, sensory inputs turned up on high. Hmm. A lot of gifted children will have difficulty with being bothered by sounds, being bothered by textures, being bothered, they don't like the tags in their shirts or the, the mm -hmm. line on their socks. Or they'll say, Miss Beep Beep, that's their nickname for me. Miss Beep Beep, um, something smells in here because somebody mm -hmm. used a flavored hand sanitizer and they, they pick up on that and it bothers them. Um, mm -hmm. their, their emotions tend to be big and they're very perfectionistic and things can bother them to an nth degree. And it's not to say that those are reasons to just excuse those behaviors, but it's a reason to see these issues as something that children need help with. And unfortunately, a lot of times it's viewed in a punitive way. Mm -hmm. The other issue of gifted children that comes up a lot is that just because you are um, academically and intellectually gifted does not mean that the rest of your body has come along with that. So mm -hmm. children will think like, uh, they, they might be seven years old, but they might think like a 12-year-old, but they mm -hmm. might have the handwriting of a five-year-old. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it becomes frustrating when they try to write down on paper these high-level thoughts that they have. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with uh, if, if a gifted child is watching the news with their parents, and the parents think, oh, this kid's only six years old, he doesn't understand. Well, the child is able to cognitively understand, but emotionally cannot tolerate or understand. And it creates a lot of problems in, for children um, with that kind of dynamic. So I could go on and on about this. And what is it about, I mean, as you're talking, and this gets back to where we want to get to know the people of PCPS better. And as you're talking, it's clear this is your passion. What is it about this group of children that really captured you? Why did, was there a moment? Well, um, in, in a small way, mm -hmm. I probably experienced some of this as a child myself, mm -hmm. but then I had my son mm -hmm. and he definitely exhibited a lot of these, these um, characteristics. And, and what was surprising to me was as a school psychologist trained in the 1980s, I never got any training or and, and as a teacher trained in the early 1980s, not a single word was spoken about any of this having to do with gifted kids. Mm -hmm. All we were exposed to was the idea that this was um, high intellectual development and here's how you test a kid to determine it. But mm -hmm. all of this was research that came out in the 80s, later in the 80s, in the 90s. And this was all additional understanding that came after my training. So the way I found out about all of this was I was doing some what is going on with my son research. And that's when I coupled that with my observation of the children I had tested through 20 years. And I had a big aha moment. 
And actually that's prompted me to um, choose this area of study for my dissertation. I'm uh, in the process at Florida Southern of working on my doctorate. And I'm gonna be doing my dissertation on, on this very issue of overexcitabilities. So I would just trying to put myself in, in your place as you're talking, I would, do you have a sense that these are children who are capable of so much and yet if they aren't understood correctly and if they aren't properly supported, that those, uh, that potential could be possibly not realized one day. Is that, do you go to work with that knowledge every day? Is that what you're? Absolutely. That is it. And um, parents, uh, you know, are so concerned about these issues. They've got this child that is is unusual, and mm -hmm. sometimes, sadly, mm -hmm. they get a lot of negative feedback um, mm -hmm. from the daycare, from mm -hmm. the the Sunday school class, sometimes from their public school uh, classroom, mm -hmm. and understandably so because these behaviors make the child look different. They are different. Mm -hmm. But if you if they're understood and the child is helped to understand themselves, mm -hmm. then it becomes something that the child can grow from and learn to um, be able to fit in to a certain extent and to modify some of these things too, not to change or make it go away, but just to understand, okay, well, I, I have my, my students know they have big feelings. You know, I say, here come those big feelings again, but the child is not rejected and mm -hmm. the child understands themselves and says to themselves then, hey, I better just take a deep breath because here come those big feelings. So gifted children, perfectionism and intensity. Those are the bottom, the, the foundation of these overexcitabilities, intensity and perfectionism. And any parent of a gifted child will say a big amen to that. Yeah. So talk about your, um, I got, I was very fortunate to be able to visit you at your school, our Bruce Wagner, at least a couple of times prior to the pandemic. And, but I don't know if I actually ever made it into your classroom. I don't recall. I remember coming to your Shakespearean production that you do every year. Right. But it, so just for our listeners um, and for me, describe to me your pre-pandemic classroom and how you created an environment where these these children could thrive well because i um and this is a blessing i have the same children all the way through their elementary okay. career mm -hmm. um some are identified in kindergarten not all, usually but by first and second grade so they're with me first through fifth grade mm -hmm. so my classroom becomes a little bit of a second home to them and i wanted it to be inviting and creative and exciting mm -hmm. and so on this new challenge to teach gifted, um, I thought what would be a good way to visualize what I wanted to do with them. And I came up with the idea of a hot air balloon that we would take a hot air balloon ride, um, imaginary ride, and then travel back in time and travel to other places. And uh, one of our journeys in the classroom, I usually have four different journeys through the school year. The first one is always a journey within where we understand ourselves again, because that's such a need for gifted children. But the hot air balloon goes right along with that, that we're journeying yeah. within. So my classroom has a hot air balloon reading corner and rainbows. And it's, as a matter of fact, let me just show you, because when I see my kids now, 
my students from home. They're missing their home away from home. So I will pop in my classroom background so that we feel like we're we're back where they're used to be. Oh, I see the hot air balloon there. Yeah. That's yeah. the little that's the little individual hot air balloon and then there's a big hot air balloon reading corner as well that my husband built for me 10 years ago. And um, so I, I miss my classroom, I have to say that. And I tell my students that, and they tell me that, and that's okay, you know, we can miss our classroom. But something I've also told them many times through the year is if plan A doesn't work out, you go to plan B. And so that's what we're doing, we're plan Bing. So you, after many years of teaching in a traditional sense and being in a traditional setting, you are now teaching virtually. What is this? What has this been like? How have you had to change as a teacher? How have you seen your students change? Yeah, well, um, I have two feelings about that. One is um, I wish I was back in the classroom with my students right in front of me but that is not the reality of what we're dealing with right now. So I am determined to, to take a positive approach to this and make the best of things. In the spring, when we um, pivoted suddenly to distance learning, I had decided to do um, project learning with my students. And I had played around with a, a website called Vokey and they had an option called Vokey Hangout. So I created that for my students where we had a virtual classroom where we can interact with one another. And I would post a challenge of the week and then they would read and research and then they would respond to that by creating avatars that would then be their spoken report back to me. We had a lot of fun with that. Um, other than that, I did individual Zoom sessions with them so I was talking to them just one at a time, and that was beautiful. That worked very well, and I had no struggles with that. And I would check in with them and how they were doing on their projects. And then toward the end of the year, we worked on our virtual Romeo and Juliet Shakespeare project, which was quite, quite an undertaking, but we had a great time doing it, and it turned out better than I could have hoped. Yeah. So, um, that experience was um, pretty exciting and went very well. Um, that plan worked out perfectly for my students. That's great. Now, starting this school year, mm -hmm. when um, I understood that we should be in a different kind of modality where I would meet with my students as a class during the time that we would have been meeting if we were in school. I have found that to be much more challenging. And, and now I understand mm -hmm. how, why the teachers that were meeting in mass like that with the whole group last year struggled. Because I remember thinking, what's the big deal? Zoom is great. This worked out great for me. Well, <laughs> now I know because the challenge of gathering multiple children at the same time on Zoom, mm -hmm. it, it's, um, it's, it's not easy. <laughs> There's a big learning curve. Yeah. So technology aside, I mean, what's been the biggest challenge as far as maybe it's with planning your lessons or the have you has it been hard to adjust to just not physically being around your kids every day? But just kind of the technical aspects of it aside, what's posed the biggest challenge? But also have there been any 
unexpected benefits of this or, or good or you know, upsides to it? Has anything good come from this transition? Well, I'll start with what's good. And what's good is that we're having to learn new things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're all creatures of habit. So unless, you know, we're pushed to um, pick up something new, most people tend to kind of take their time about changes. So right. this has prompted all of us to um, have to take a risk and jump right in, even if you're not totally comfortable with something. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as um, how it's going with the children, what, what is going besides the technology, the challenge for me is not being able to see the reactions of my students in real time. Mm-hmm. I, you know, when I see the little face in the little square, I don't have as many clues mm-hmm. on whether they get it, they understand it, are they paying attention, the, getting the feedback immediately. I'm, I'm learning new techniques. I'm doing a lot of the thumbs up, thumbs down, but there's so many nuances that mm-hmm. being with a person allows you to, to get that through the screen is just not the same. The one-way communication, if I'm just talking to them, I think that's all right. Mm-hmm. But when I'm just trying to, to non-verbally get back whether they have questions and... Um, their communication back to me isn't as strong as if I was in the room with them. If you could go back to the pre-pandemic life and talk to Lois before all this happened, what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give yourself? Well, I've thought about that a lot just in my whole life, you know, all aspects of my life. And the, the lesson is treasure each day. And I guess the, the cliche would be you don't know what you got till it's gone right right so um just the 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 carefree freedom to roam around campus and and give my kids a hug and um do whatever you feel like doing and going wherever you feel like going you know that that's that's a loss and we're all dealing with that loss and you know we're all hoping that there'll be a day when it's all coming back but you know that's affecting me but i have to remember that's affecting my students too I was going to ask you, I mean, as a school, do you find yourself maybe tapping into your school psychology background? Do you talk to your students about how they're feeling with all this and how they're dealing with, we're all grieving. A life will never get back. We may get a form of it back, but it'll never be quite the same for a minute. Right. And and I'm concerned, and I have been concerned in the spring as well. We talked, a a lot of our lessons were about, um, I tried to think, how can I address this without um, scaring them more, you know. So I try to emphasize the fact that through history, things like this have happened and people have gotten through them. So um, two of our lessons in the spring had to do with other pandemics and people who did amazing things during the pandemic. So we, we studied the fact that a lot of Shakespeare's writings were done when he was quarantined during the plague. And we also studied uh, the origin of the Candyland game, which was also um, invented by a woman who was quarantined during the polio epidemic. Um, And that's when she created Candyland. And she created it for the children in the hospital during um, their hospitalization for polio to give them something fun to to, um, make the time go faster. So she took something like that 
and look at this amazing thing she created out of that. Do you think your kids, you, um, you've been with them for a, a while, the same group of children, you said you, you teach them their whole way through. So you have kids that you've had since kindergarten, correct? How have you seen them change during the course of this? What they've, they've had to adapt. I mean, do you think this will in some way have a lasting mark on them? And, and if so, how? I, I really don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, if you look through history, people have gone through traumatic events. Think of people, I think about, you know, my parents' generation um, were uh, teenagers during the Great Depression. They were young adults during World War II. That those were challenges beyond anything that I could have imagined, but they continued through life. And um, we also studied the, the um, flu epidemic of 1918 mm -hmm. and how people's lives changed at that time. But yet by the 1920s, life was back to normal and, and no one mentioned much about, about the, um, the flu epidemic. So I think people are resilient mm -hmm. and um, I keep telling my students, you know, you're gonna have quite a story to tell yeah. Um, when you're older that, you know, hey, I remember when. Yeah. So, um, I, I hope that they are talking about their feelings. Um, and I certainly am there to talk with them if they want to, but also in their families. I've encouraged that as well. You mentioned before we started recording that you're approaching the end of your career with the public school system, at least. Um, when you, this is a two-part question. When you think about your many years with Polk County Public Schools, what are you most proud of, period? But then also, what are you most proud of just from March to today, your pandemic response? What are you most proud of? Um, I think that my pandemic experience, I'm proud of the fact that even though I had gotten to a comfortable place in my teaching where um, my, uh, my routine was set, my classroom was done, my, my curriculum was developed, and I, it's not that it was easy, but I was kind of like comfortable. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic response required me to go back to, I can remember 10 years ago, I call it my startup cost. Mm -hmm. When my first year of teaching in the classroom, I think I counted 42 days in a row where I didn't take any days off, including Saturday and Sunday. So that was the cost of starting something new because that's mm -hmm. what you have to do. Mm -hmm. And um, even though now at this late stage of the game, I'm like, I'm not working seven days a week again, but yes, I did. And the reason I did is because it was something new and it required it. Um, but my heart goes out to all the teachers that that invested in their startup cost mm -hmm. at whatever point in their career, and the whole group of them have had to do the same thing again. It's right. kind of like um, I compare it to when you have a new baby, you know, mm -hmm. and when you have a new baby, everything gets put on hold and your total focus is there. And what we've done in Polk County Schools is we've just had a new baby. Yeah, yeah. We, um, again, as we talk to our various interview subjects, we want to find out, we, we believe that everyone who's a part of this organization contributes something to it. And we want to, we want to discover what that is. And 
Um, I want to ask you, Lois, as a veteran teacher, a former school psychologist who's, um, you know, worked with many, many classes of students and, and has will certainly have a lasting legacy at Polk County Public Schools. But what do you think you've contributed? What was your is your defining contribution to our organization? Whoa. Um, well, I can tell you what made me feel like I, I contributed um, something significant. Mm -hmm. When I was honored um, as the 2017 Teacher of the Year, which mm -hmm. was totally unexpected, I, I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I heard from so many parents, I'm gonna get all choked up on this, and teachers that mm -hmm. I had worked with as a school psychologist 20 years prior. Mm -hmm. Parents who said, you know, you tested my child in, you know, whatever year, 1998, mm -hmm. um, and shared their their remembrances of that time and their appreciation for whatever I, I don't even know what I did, but the fact that, that, that I would, that those things would have been remembered all those many years later and that those people were so kind as to share that with me, that is something that I, you know, that, that will always stay with me. Yeah. Anything else you would like to share with our viewers about the eSchool experience or just your teaching practice center? Anything I haven't, there's so much to ask you about, Lois, but is there something you would like our audience to know about you that I haven't, that I haven't asked? No, <laughs> I think I know everything. I talk too much. Um, but what I would like to say about eSchool is that, you know, this is a learn, I keep telling my students, we are all learning together. Yeah. And teachers need to just give themselves permission to not be perfect at this, at this time. Mm -hmm. And parents permission and children need to give themselves permission. If I was gonna give any advice though, to parents whose children are, are in e-school, mm -hmm. it would be that I would ask them to try to find a quiet spot in the house mm -hmm. in which their children can work because it is very difficult when you're trying to concentrate on what's coming through a screen and the teacher is not right there in front of you when there's a lot of commotion. Mm -hmm. I think that that is making it tougher for, for the yeah. children. That yeah. would be yeah. my advice. Um, and then my, my encouragement would be whatever seems so insurmountable right now in three months will seem just normal and that's what i'm counting on and i'll tell you i've only been with my students now at this is my third week because i didn't get to start with them from day one but week three is so much better than week one we're getting into a routine it's a whole new thing and we're having to learn it so yeah. i'm confident that as we continue on we're going to get to a good place and um, we're going to get a lot done. Well, I mean, think about where we, where we were in March. That was certainly a lot harder. This, so we've, we've come a long way. You're right. And even just this school year. So, and I guess if, if students remember anything from this time, it's that things don't always go as planned and you just adjust and do your best and you may not be perfect. So very, very wise words that you shared there. So, um, okay, well, thank you so much. The 2017 Teacher of the Year, Ms. Lois Horn-Diaz, a.k.a. Ms. Beep Beep. Thank you so much for being our guest today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. 
Did you change careers to become a teacher, para, or bus driver? Do you remember the moment when you knew a career in education was right for you? Are you a PCPS alumnus who remembers the teacher who made you believe you were capable of great things? Are you a student who is already putting your K-12 education to work in our community? We all have a story to tell, and those stories are part of what makes PCPS great. Tell us yours. To be a guest or to nominate someone you know to be featured on The People of PCPS, fill out the form posted online at polkschoolsfl.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to the People of PCPS podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or watch online at the Polk County Public Schools YouTube channel. To learn more about the People of PCPS and other Polk County Public Schools podcasts, visit polkschoolsfl.com forward slash podcasts.